Well, hey, everybody, we're really excited about this episode today where I am going to be sharing with Patty's help uh, some 10 year, so decade long trends. Um, no, I can't see 10 years into the future, Patty, of course, right? But just right, sharing right. some paths and some possible ways things could turn out. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, 10 years starts off with one year, you know, there's, yes. there's steps. And I think yes. you, you gave some really great insights. Um, I think people will really, really be intrigued by what you have to offer. Yeah, well, thank you. So to be specific, we do, uh, I, I provide three trends and then I talk about how those trends will affect individual agents, small ISOs and large payments organizations. Hopefully it's something that you find some value in. And then Patty, tell us about some of the trends uh, that you talk about today in the Insiders Report. Well, in the Insiders Report, we're talking a lot about consumer spending, about buy now, pay later, and um, about consumers' e-commerce um, habits and about basically how, you know, the last 21 months is, uh ushered in a lot of permanent changes in how people shop and how they spend. This episode is brought to you today by LaVu. They are the premier cash discounting point of sale solution for restaurants. If you'd like to learn more about LaVu and their processor agnostic solutions, um, what you can do is you can text a short code. So let me give it to you. You're going to text the word LaVu to the number 63975. 63975. Text the word LaVu, L-A-V-U. You can get more information about becoming a reseller or them. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. I'm your co-host Patty Murphy here with the other with my partner in crime, James Shepherd. <laughs> and uh, we thought for the end of the year it would be really great to uh, sort of take a look a look into the future. And uh, I think James is going you're going to ch- start us off James yep. with a uh, your uh, your predictions for 10-year trends, where this business is going. After James, I'm going to follow up with uh, some some more current data. But uh, yeah. I'm going to hand it off to James, and uh, let's hear what he has to say. Awesome. Well, thank you, Patty. So I'm really excited about this. I actually have not done something like this since 2019. Um, right. And it, you know what's so funny, Patty? My favorite one from 2019, one of my predictions was that cash discounting would survive. <laughs> right. Would survive 2019. And right. if you remember back to 2019... There was some question about there that. There was some question about that. In fact, I remember in 2019 being on a panel, I think it was the NEAA, one of the regional right. uh, things, right. and I said that uh, cash discounting and surcharging were going to take off. And I was on a panel with Visa and MasterCard execs whose, oh, you know, whose they jaws, that. they were they were silent on it, obviously. Right. But, right. Um, you were clearly correct on that. So I think uh, it'll be really cool to see what you yeah. have going forward. Well, so this time I was like, okay, what do I, you know, what do I want to say about 2022? And I, I wrote some notes out and I thought about it a lot. And I'm like, you know, I don't really have anything that interesting. Uh, honestly, I mean, 2022, you know, more ISVs are going to come on this scene. Right. Cash discounting and surcharging is going to continue to move forward. I mean, we've been talking about this, right? We're going to see buy now, pay later. Right. We're going to, you know, yeah. Exactly. All the trends we've talked about. And so right. instead I thought, you know, what's actually more interesting to me is, how these things are playing out. Now, obviously, when you say 10-year predictions, I mean, really, there's no such thing, of course, right? No, like, of course, we all you understand can't that. predict 10 years right. ahead in this, in this day and age. What I think you can do is I think you can look at possible paths and right. how could things go and just kind of get thinking. So let me be really clear, though. This is for agents. This is for merchant sales professionals just as much as it is small ISO execs and, um, and large organizations. So what sure. I'm going to do is I'm going to share three trends with you. Then I'm going to talk about independent agents, small ISOs, and large payments organizations, and what I believe that you should be doing now um, to 
take advantage or prepare for these trends to go on the offense. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. So without further ado, here we go. Ready? So number one, regulation. Yes. Regulation. We cannot look at our industry over the next 10 years and not think about the potential for regulation. Okay. And it doesn't matter who's in power politically. Right. I mean, it's one of those things right. that's just going to keep coming up. And, and and just as a little aside, James, you know, as, as you know, and many of our listeners know, I've been in this payment space for decades. Right. Yep. And for many, many years, nobody understood the payments business, so nobody touched it. Right. Right? right. And I've always maintained that when, uh, when the retailers started coined that phrase, swipe fee. Yeah, that was the moment there. That was the turning point. And, you know, it's on the radar for lawmakers and regulators. Yeah. And it's not just swipe fee. It's not just interchange. Right. But that's sort of what opened the door. It is. And and I think, um, you know, when, when you think about regulation, you know, the question is, do we think regulation in our industry is going to be exactly the same 10 years from now? And, and obviously the answer to that is no. Right. Then the question becomes, do we think there's going to be less regulation 10 years from now? I no. think almost everyone would say no to that, right? I certainly right. would say no. There's not going to be less. So, so yes. what are we going to be looking at? Well, it's going to be more <laughs> regulation, okay? Right. So again, as Patty said, uh, this is not a political statement. It really doesn't matter. I think whoever is in, in office, I think you're going to see more regulation in 10 years. And one of the ways that we know that that trend is, is most likely going to happen is that we have two um, trends that are side by side here that we see. So number one, we see regulation in our market today with things like electricity, you know, even water and sewer and, you know, these right. other things are considered more utility. Right. Um, we see more regulation, right, with that. So we've already seen some of that in the U.S., but then also we can look at Australia, we can look at the U.K., we can look at the EU, EU. and we can see massive, really, I would say, over-regulation of the payments market, payments industry. Right. Um, right. that doesn't, that's not to say that ours is going to go the same way, but it's an interesting thing to look at. Um, so I, I have actually four things down here that I'm going to run through real quick that are possible paths that regulation could take. Okay. Okay. Let's go. So, and, and kind of in order of how I think, uh, you know, the least important to the most important. So number one okay. is surcharging, which is not super important, but I do think over the next, really, I think over the next three to four years, um, I think all of the ambiguity with surcharging and cash discounting and non-cash adjustment and true surcharging and true cash discounting. And right. I think all that's going to go away. I, agree. Um, I hope. <clears throat> and I think that the, the U S government or, and, or the, the Supreme court, one of them, depending on how things shake, you know, shape up, will they'll step up and they will make a ruling or a law or something to kind of, you know, streamline this and say, look, here's what you can do. Um, right. And again, if we go to other countries, if you look at Australia right now, you know, Australia um, does have surcharging. Almost all, I think it was 80% of large corporations in Australia that operate in Australia surcharge. Right, right. Okay. I've heard that stat also. That's a lot. And they can surcharge right. on debit. Mm-hmm. They add yeah. the fees to debit and credit yeah. alike. So right. there's the only reason we have these non-cash adjustment programs is because Visa won't let us surcharge debit. So we right. try to find this way around it, uh, which some people agree with, some people don't. I really believe all that ambiguity is going to go away. But all that to say, I think there could be more regulation around surcharging, non-cash adjustment. Mm-hmm. I do think that those regulations potentially will compress margins. Um, yes, of course. You know, I don't think that the regulation, I think if there is a regulation, it's not just going to be, hey, you can do this. It's probably also going to say you can do How this. How you but, can do it. Right. Yes. This is how you can do it. 
right. ABC, correct. So number one, surcharging. Number two, interchange. <clears throat> we already alluded to it. Interchange. Mm -hmm. Literally, the U.S. is the only unregulated interchange market in the world, I think, right. at this point, as far as major countries. There major may be some countries. I don't. Yeah, there may right. be some other small ones, but I'm saying the EU, the, you know, the UK, Australia, I mean, used anywhere. Japan, I mean, yes. yeah. It's, everywhere, it's everywhere, all regulated interchange. We haven't right. yet. And, 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 you know, that has an impact because, you know, Walmart is paying mm -hmm. a lot higher interchange in the US than they are in the EU. Right. Right. And, and Amazon. how long is that going to last? Right. Exactly. It, and also, you know, the Durban Amendment was sort of like the, uh, what do the they mouth. call it? The, yeah, the, the, the uh, camel's nose under the tent kind of thing, you yes. know? I mean, that just, yes. it just, it, it, that was the right. major chink there. It um, was, it was. So mm -hmm. the, the doors opened there. So I, I think that's coming um, in the next 10 years. Um, then the question is, is there going to be regulation around pricing? So mm -hmm. big difference here, regulating the underlying big costs. Difference. Right. Versus regulating the pricing. Now, my hope, and I think everybody's hope that's listening to this podcast, is that that is not the case. Um, but it certainly could be the case. And we need to be thinking about that. We need to be aware of that. And it's one of those things where a big part of this, I really believe, is going to come down to how good our industry is at self-regulating. Right? Correct. Do we need regulation? Are we are we ripping people off? Are, are there high-profile cases like the one you're covering on the insiders with? Right. Where, right. you know, uh, these, you know, with priority. Now, again, I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm just saying no. if if that's proven that, oh, wow, there's this huge thing. Are there going to be high profile cases that are going to get lots of, um, you know, lots of notice that, hey, credit card processing companies are ripping people off? Well, that's going to lead towards, you know, small business outrage and that's going to lead right. to regulation. So and, and don't you think really the key there is transparency, right? Yes. I mean, yes, 100%. that's really what what's at issue here right. is, you know, if. if it, the industry is moving, I believe, in a direction of greater transparency. It absolutely, and then if the yes. industry can continue on that path, right. that diminishes the need for that yes. kind of regulation. And and not to mention, I think what would happen is, I personally believe the path would be regulating interchange, mm -hmm. then looking at the pricing. And Correct. I and I think it might be three or four years of okay, we regulated the interchange down significantly. Everybody's cost of acceptance came down. Now mm -hmm. the question is, are the ISAs and agents going to do things that are crazy there to continue charging the same high fees, but keeping the profits, things like that, I think could trigger more regulation on pricing. So I think that'll be, that's yet to be seen how that'll play out. Right. right. Um, then the last one is practice. And so the idea of practice, me meaning how, how are we conducting ourselves? So you look at the mortgage mm -hmm. industry, you look at the insurance industry, you can't just, I, I couldn't just go out and start selling mortgages right now. I'm not licensed right. to do so. Right. 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 Um, right. And I think we could see regulation along those uh, as well. And in fact, I could even see some of that regulation potentially coming prior to some kind of pricing um, regulation, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, um, sure. because it's more of, hey, we got to make sure these people are legit, that, that, you know, they know what they're doing. Again, a lot of this comes down to how well we are self-regulating and we're making sure that we, that we know our industry. But I think if you're any type of, you know, individual agent, large organization, small ISO, you should be thinking about the impact of regulation. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'm going to move on quickly here because I've got several more things to cover. Number if, two, but, but just good. before you go to number two, I just wanted to mention one thing on this this regulation front. Yes, I think it's worth noting that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau recently, you know, issued uh, letters to all the big tech companies, you know, Facebook and and Square and all those guys, Twitter, the likes that they wanted uh, Google, obviously, they want um, information on their payments activities. Mm, interesting. And I'm going to report yeah. more on this in a future in a future yep. in a future uh, episode. Right. But 
to me, that sort of goes along with what you're saying. It says that that's the body that's going to do this. And under the yes. Durban Amendment, you know, the Wall Street Reform Act, that's why the CFTB right. was was, was created. created and, and it absolutely now has that authority to do it. Yes. So that, that's exactly. what's interesting about it is the authority already exists to regulate mm -hmm. interchange. I mean, yes. it's already been regulated. So um, right. very good. OK, so uh, number two is integration, integration. Um, and I want to talk really specifically here. I think we all um, kind of understand the idea that there's a lot of ISVs out there. And that's not really what I want to talk about today. Mm -hmm. What I want to talk about is more the bigger picture, the 10-year trend of integration. And I want to talk about some things that our industry maybe doesn't have a grasp on yet mm -hmm. um, that they really need to understand. So number one is I want to actually talk about developer time. Mm -hmm. And you might think, James, what in the world does this have to do with the payments industry? I would actually say that there, okay, so let me first of all give you the fact. The fact is it takes significantly less time for a developer today to build software than it did 10 years ago. Sure. And when I say significantly less, I mean like 90% less, yeah. maybe 95% right. less, like huge difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that that fact has actually had more to do with the disruption of the payments industry than anything else I could share with you. Hmm. Hmm. Because 10 years ago, you say, where did all these ISVs come from? Well, where they came from is two guys in a garage in yeah. three months can build a new point of sale system. Right. That right. used to take 20 senior developers two years. Right. Right. So true. that's insane that that can happen. And all these fintechs and ISVs are popping up everywhere. Why? Because developer time to build software has gone down dramatically. And what else that's that's changed is it used to be, hey, if you're going to build software, if you're going to build a point of sale system, build right. a general one that's going to work for everybody, right? Yeah. Because it's right. going to take, it's going to cost you $7 million in developer time to build this thing. Sure. Well, right. now it's going to cost you 150000 maybe 300000 Why don't you just build one for hair salons? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is now this market has been dramatically fragmented because it's so easy for a company to say, well, I see that big. I can't compete with Micros, but I can right. build a pretty cool system for, you know, nail salons. I can build a pretty cool system for auto repair shops. So the law offices, the law offices. Right. And so these little verticals are starting to get their own solutions because developer time, it mm -hmm. doesn't take nearly as much time or expense to build something. I was recently doing an event with Stacks, previously Fat Merchant, and they were talking right. about their first, um, which yeah, we done in the podcast actually. Um, but they were talking about, you know, their their initial product. It was, right. I think, three developers and they had like 30 days or maybe maybe 90 days actually. They had 90 days, I think it was, to build their initial product that integrated with payments. And they, they built it and it was ready to launch in 90 days with like right. three people. Um, and now it's stacks, which of course, obviously now they've spent millions and millions in, in further development. But my point is you can get going pretty quickly and you can build something that actually works. And I'll, I'll get to more of why that matters in a minute. Um, number two, we want to talk about the, the payback model. Okay. Mm -hmm. The other big trend here is, you know, over the last couple of years, the underwriting processes for, for traditional processing companies mm -hmm. has been an annoyance. Um, the, right. the big PDF documents, all of this nonsense, right? All the, the voided checks and all these things. Right, um, right. What you're going to see happen in the next two to three years is it's going to, it's not going to be an annoyance anymore. It's going to be unacceptable. Yeah. And so yeah. what's going to happen is, as we get more and more integrations 
And as more and more merchant account sales are written because of a technology that is going to be integrated with payments, mm-hmm. the merchant and the agent and ISO, especially in the ISV, they're going to have much less patience for like, you know, I'm signing this person up for a point of sale system that's going to revolutionize their business. It should not be harder for me to activate their ability to accept payments right. than it is right. for me to set them up on their software. Like, right. Of course. Sure. And so as a trend, like if you're still boarding merchants in that way, understand that that's a problem. You need to be put, if you're an agent, put pressure on your ISO. If you're an ISO, put pressure on the acquirer. If you're a large payments organization, figure this out. This is a, this is a solvable problem. Like I don't understand. It, It boggles my mind. The, the organizational inertia, these massive companies, I know these huge companies, I won't name names that they literally have a division that sets people up as payfacts, mm-hmm. And yet they themselves are still requiring these old school merchant applications from their ISOs and agents. Well, yeah. I mean, remember the interview Hello? we had recently with the company that did payfax as a service, right? Right. right. I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than no. that. And it, it should not be any harder on the back end, as yes. you say. Yeah. So I think as you know, long-term, as we look at the trend, um, I think our underwriting processes are going to need a really significant overhaul. Now, again, Obviously, I'm not talking about big B2B accounts, high-risk accounts. That That's where that's all needed. Still. That's Of course, it's needed, right? There, but not um, for these simple businesses. Right. These retail, right? and even a lot of the e-commerce ones that are low-risk, really. You know, they, really? the e-commerce right. in our industry has been treated like it's all high-risk. It's not. You know, it's yeah. so anyway. So we have that. Um, and then lastly, I want to mention this trend. And I'm going to I'm gonna specifically mention copper because we there's a big reaction to copper right, right now. For right. those of you who don't know, it's where you replace a little cable that goes from the point-of-sale system to the printer. And it kind of hijacks the system and allows you to take over the payment processing for legacy point right. of sale systems. But I've seen others as well. I think there's going to be a trend here, you know, mm-hmm. as more and more people are getting locked into technology solutions. Right. I don't have a specific prediction here other than to say, I believe you're going to start to see disruptors mm-hmm. that are going to allow merchants to use other payment processing. Maybe even you'll see payment processors that will come out that will say, we can lower your cost and integrate with any system. Right. And it'll be that whole concept. And so, again, trend to look out for. I think that's a big one that Mm -hmm. we're going to see these systems of Square, Toast, um, others, and just even just larger processing companies, you know, Clover. And and they feel very, very secure in their position as far as the payment processing. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe over the next 36 months to to 60 months, I think that security is going to go away. Um, I think obviously it's going to be good to be integrated, of course, but I don't think it's going to guarantee a lock-in. And I think it could even trigger the regulation. A lot of stuff goes together because mm-hmm. what's going to happen is as companies like Copper start coming in, companies that are integrated and are depending on the payment processing to justify their economic model, right. they're going to say, wait a minute, we have a contract here and they're going to start to be really heavy handed. Yeah, sure. And, and those merchants are going to reach out to their representative and to their attorney general and say, what is going on? I mean, taking advantage of. And so I think that can create kind of a mess. Um, yeah. And so I think it'll be interesting over the next you know, decade, uh, I think really over the next five years to see that one play out. Um, so we have regulation, we have integration. And then finally, number three, it really might surprise people. This would be my prediction for a 10-year prediction. But um, I think that ACH and crypto, and I'm putting these two together, um, ACH and crypto, um, I'm putting them together as a trend. And mm-hmm. I believe that it is a trend in number one, low-cost payment acceptance. Yes. Okay. Um, That's important. So low cost payment acceptance. 
uh, just got off of a call literally right before this uh, recording with the company. And, you know, they're doing like 1% flat rate on crypto, taking all the volatility out. So the merchant doesn't accept any volatility. They never even take possession of the crypto. They just are in this exchange where, hey, if somebody pays me $100, I'm going to get 99, you know, and right. there's no volatility. So um, crypto is a lower cost form of payment. ACH also over the next decade is going to develop into a real-time platform. Right. And I mean, that's going to be less than a decade that it's going to be yes. real-time, you know, maybe another two years, I would right. say. Yeah. When, when that happens, that is crazy important because- Crazy important, yeah. You, you know, the, the number of fintechs that are already developing towards this is incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are realizing, well, wait a second, you know, if people can just pay with ACH and it's really low cost, maybe we can jump in and charge a little bit of an extra fee. It'll seem a lot lower to the merchant, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So mm -hmm. um, when we write, you know, say, well, you know, that's a big trend because ACH acceptance, crypto acceptance, I think these things are going to become increasingly important to merchants. Right. Um, everybody on here knows I'm, I'm a little dubious of the long-term trend with crypto as becoming a mainstream form of payment. Correct. Yeah. But I do believe, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't think Apple Pay is a great uh, currently is, a, is, a, is, you know, huge percentage of the market. But I think every business should accept Apple Pay. You know, right. I've gotten to the point now where I use Apple Pay. And when I go to a business and I have my phone out and I can't use it and they say, oh, we don't accept Apple Pay. I don't like that. Uh huh. Uh -huh. I, I mean, I can't believe I, like I've gotten to that point. I, I wasn't even using Apple Pay hardly at all a year ago now. It's like, like I'll give you a really good example of this, Patty. Per personal example, uh -huh. there is not a, a week that goes by that at least one day I don't go to lunch and forget my wallet <laughs> because I don't use it anymore. Because you don't use it anymore. And, and then I'll be at a place phone. and it's super right. embarrassing. I've been in a couple of places where they're like, we don't take Apple Pay. And I'm like, seriously, that's all I have. I have my phone. I, I left my wallet at the office. I got to call somebody. It's ridiculous. So right. the idea is maybe that's only 5% of their revenue of Apple Pay, maybe 7 but that five to seven is going to go away if you don't accept Apple Pay because I'm going right. to go somewhere else because I like and to. And it's going to increase. It's going to increase to 10, Absolutely. 12. Exactly. You know. So I think crypto may be a few years behind that trend. But I think over the next decade, we're going to see that become a, a bigger thing. Um, and I think crypto is developing, you know, into what well, I guess what I've always been dubious about crypto is its ability to deliver on these promises. You know, right. it's totally anonymous, you know, it's totally free and it's like, and it's not, it's not, and it's not. So, right. but I still think it's going to become a major form of payment, just not totally anonymous and totally free. Right. That's, that's my, right. that's where I'm I at. mean, and, you know, it's already, the government's already made clear that they want people to, you know, report their crypto earnings. Exactly. Um, exactly. And as you say, you know, there's people out there charging 1% and taking on the volatility. Well, 1% right. is not free. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So what do we do about this? I'm going to run through real quickly, just give you a couple of tips um, that I think will help. So if you're an independent rep, um, specialize and stay informed. Yes. Okay. Specialize and stay informed. Now that does, that's not to say you can only do one type of you know, merchant. There's a lot of different ways to specialize. You could specialize in your market. You could be, hey, I specialize in serving the greater Atlanta area. That could be a specialization then stay informed. What's happening in the Atlanta area? You know, what mm -hmm. new competitors do you have? What new technologies are available? What are the trends in consumer buying? Become the expert on payments in the Atlanta area, right? Yes. What are the new yeah. ISVs that are starting? You know, go visit their office because they're in mm -hmm. Atlanta. No, mm -hmm. no other payments person is visiting their office. So, right. you know, specialize and stay informed if you're an individual agent. That's going to be mm -hmm. a key to overcoming because then you're going to be in the loop on whatever regulations and software and payments changes. It's going to be too much for you to become a generalist 
if you're a generalist, you're not going to be able to stay informed on everything that matters. Right. Um, so specialize and stay informed if you're an individual rep. If yeah, you are a small ISO, I'm going to give you a tip that's probably going to blow your mind for most of you because you're like, wait a minute, we're a one to three person shop, let's say. Okay. Right. Um, right. Go ahead and develop software. I couldn't agree with you more, James. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, yeah. like, come on, seriously, like, you don't understand, you know, you can, and again, schedule consulting with me. I'm, I'm happy to help with this. I do it all the time. Like, you know, we, I have developers on staff here and, right. but before I had the developers on staff, like you can just go to upwork.com you can go to freelancer networks. You can go, you can go to India, you can go anywhere. And, you know, if you have a well-designed and crafted, like this is exactly what we want, mm -hmm. you can get something very, um, you can get something that is ready to roll out that is fully integrated with your payment processor for 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. Over the course of six months. So, you know, we're talking about a $10,000 a month investment. And for those of you that have a small ISO, you, you're like, well, I'm making $30,000 a month in residual. Okay. Well, do you want to protect it? Do you want to still have it in 10 years? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, look at your, you want to grow it. You want to grow it. Look at your portfolio, right? Like where's the specialization? And you're like, well, a lot of times I work with these, you know, contractors. Okay. What exactly did they want? Right. As far as their payment mm -hmm. processing platform. And once you know exactly what they want, guess what? Build that. Hey, not, right. it has to be simple. It has to be simple. Um, so you're going to have to learn. You have to learn some new things, but think about developing your own software package. It's so easy now to, to integrate. There's lots of different gateways. It's super easy to integrate. Um, and so think about developing software and build ISV relationships. Yes. Yes. Right. If you're a small ISO, get out there and build ISV relationships. Now, having said that, keep in mind on the flip side, you're going to have to be with a processing company that has more of that payback model of onboarding. Right. They're not going right. to want to send all their people through this long drawn out process. They're going to want a really slick online application where they can just, somebody signs up and they're instantly approved. Um, but, you know, do that. So that's for the small ISO. And then what about the large payments organization? You know, number one on my list is, um, I think it's finally time for these companies to start taking their brand seriously. Mm -hmm. um, the brand is going to start to matter a lot more. And I know, you know, marketing departments are all going to be mad at me at these companies now. You know, like, oh, James is saying we don't care about our brand. You don't. <laughs> so I don't care if you're offended. You don't. Um, you just don't. There, that's all there is to it. So when I say care about it, are there people in the organization that are focused on the brand? Yes. Are these companies operationally focused on protecting their brand reputation? No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. No, they are not. Mm -hmm. And this is going to become increasingly important because all the yeah. trends moving towards whether it's regulation, integration, you know, when I talk to ISVs, and I'm consulting them. And I've had the, just in the last week, Cody, I had one where I recommended a company that I know has great technology to integrate with this particular ISV. Mm -hmm. And I explained to them the benefits of this partnership. And they said, oh, no, we would never go with that company. We've heard some bad things. Uh -huh. That's the end of that uh -huh. conversation. On to the yeah. next one. And that happens yeah. to me all the time. The ISV. And there is, is a lot of bad. That's that. the thing. You get a lot of bad stuff. And, and people, when, they, when they're yes. upset, they grouse about it online. Right. Where are these ISVs going to look? Online, obviously. Right. right? right. And so, so I, I, I think the focus, Patty, has been let's make sure we don't have a bad reputation, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. which has not worked. The focus right. is going to have to shift to we want to have an awesome reputation right. for our brand. Right. So we're going to, we're willing to invest in better customer service. We're willing to invest in a better customer experience, mm -hmm. not just, you know, words, but actually doing something, taking action, making sure it's a good experience uh, for, you know, and, and saying we're willing to put some money into that. So I think yeah. that's going to become increasingly important. Number two is 
um, acquisition and retention. Um, well, of course, yeah. Obviously a no-brainer, but I think a lot of our merchant sales agents don't seem to understand. It's like when you own a huge payment processing company, you have to understand everybody's already been sold. Right, right, so, right. So you just go and buy that processing account. You don't mm-hmm. worry about all the agents going out and selling it and all the hassle that comes with that. You just go buy it, right? right so right. so that's a trend that's also very interesting for independent reps. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk at the top of the payments companies now of, do we really want these independent reps running around and messing up a reputation? Like, why wouldn't we just like go buy these? Like, everybody's already been sold. Do we really want to buy it by paying a rep for the rest of his life? Or do we want to just pay for it? You know, and I can tell you the answer to that question without any doubt, every single time is we want to just buy it. Now they, so far, they haven't been able to acquire as much as they want. So they're Mm -hmm. still willing to accept the independent rep model as a necessary evil, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not talking about the the ISOs. I'm talking about the acquirers here. Um, But more and more, it's becoming a a hassle. And so keep that in mind. This is where your reputation as an independent agent comes into play. You're going to see acquiring companies and and even ISOs become much less uh, willing to deal with reputational issues. You know, they're going to run that background check. They're going to be looking and, hey, you have this, you know, you boarded a fraudulent account. You're done. We don't care. We don't care anything about you. You're done. And we're going to keep your residuals because our contract Mm -hmm. says if you do anything criminal or fraudulent, we can keep them like you're going to see more and more of that, I think, um, where people are just these, they're going to say, no, 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 we're done with that. Our reputation is too important. So I think that's an important trend, but, but it's acquisition and it's retention. They do so many acquisitions, but they don't do a good job of retaining and increasing the value of the accounts that they have. Mm-hmm, the trend mm-hmm. over the next yeah, they 10 just years. Sell payment processing and, and walk away when there's right. so much more they can be doing for those companies. Yes. And, yeah. and these successful companies are going to be those that are able to increase revenue, not by, you know, excessive fee increases where tools like our tool, getisoamp.com is just going to identify that and knock them out of the park. But, right. but more, you know, value added things, technology integrations, different things like that, crypto and ACH acceptance, you know, being on the cutting edge of these things and providing them to their, to their merchants and making strategic acquisitions in the area of ISVs, software value adds, things of that nature are going to be super important for retention. So it's going to be, you know, buy this book of business and then solidify it with lots of value add. Yes. Right. Yes. Those are going to be the successful companies. And then finally, last on here is train your team. Um, you know, as a, a large payments organization, and this also, of course, goes to the other two as well, whether you're individual or small ISO, is, um, you know, the training needs to, you got to be trained, 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 trained. Things are changing very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And if you're not keeping up with that change, you are absolutely, not only, you're not just going to get left behind, you're going to get run over. And what um, you're saying is it's ongoing training, right? Not yes. just you know, give them a bunch of, of, of tutorials and send them right. out to the field, but to actually keep that training yes. as, as a integral part of the, of the yeah. relationship. Yeah. I, I find, yeah. I find Patty, the payments industry, unfortunately lives in these very well-defined silos. Yes. And I'm, I'm so interested in all these things that ISV employees know that mm-hmm. payments executives don't know that independent agents don't know. And then there's things independent agents know that their managers don't know that they're, mm-hmm the owner of the ISO doesn't have any idea about. And right. I, you know, I go to these, I go to these boardrooms and stuff or these zoom calls with these executives. And, and I feel like half the call I'm saying, wait, 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 wait. Like, don't you understand that that's not reality? Like the agents don't believe that way anymore. They believe this. Right. Oh, really? Right. And then well, what about, well, no, no, no. The, the ISVs don't care about that anymore. They care about this. And it, you know, so I'm in a unique position, not that I'm smarter than anybody, just I'm doing consulting for all the different groups. 
So I'm talking to right. the individual agents. Right. I'm talking to the ISVs like all the time. Now I'm on, on with ISVs for consulting. Um, and then I'm on with the, the small ISOs and I'm on with the payments executives. And it's like, there's all this like super interesting siloed information and it just, you know, it's, they're, they're not getting it. So I think that's, that's super important. So there you go. There's my, my 10 year trends um, to, to keep an eye on. Thanks James. That was really great. Really appreciate it. Well, everybody, this episode is brought to you today by Lavu and uh, Lavu.com. Lavu is a processor agnostic point of sale system that is designed specifically around cash discounting for restaurants. It is an iPad system. I love the sleek flexibility of it. Um, I, we are coming out with a script later this month. We'll talk about it on the next episode, so don't miss that. Um, but do take some time right now. If you haven't done so already this month, if you want to get more information, go to lavu.com, L-A-V-U.com. Or if you're just driving, you want to pull over to the side of the road for a minute, go ahead and text the word LAVU, L-A-V-U. Text that to the short code 63975, 63975. You're going to get a link back with some additional information about becoming a LAVU reseller. Uh, thank you very much for taking time to listen to this information about our sponsor, LAVU. Please do take a moment if you enjoy the content to support them uh, by texting the word LAVU to 63975. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, you know, it's the uh, end of the year and uh, it's been a wild ride for a lot of people. Um, But, you know, as we enter the new year, consumer spending is really on the rise, which I think is good for everybody. Yes. Um, An analysis by the New York Fed found that in the the, uh, quarter ending September 30th, it marked the second consecutive quarter that Americans increased their credit card balances. Mm. Now, that's not unusual in regular years. Credit card balances generally rise in the second and third quarters, then re- register you know, an even larger increase in the fourth, fourth quarter as consumers purchase for the holidays. And then the right. first quarter, they kind of contract a little bit. Right, sure. But second and third quarter increases didn't happen in 2020, leading the Fed and analysts to suggest that credit spending is now normalizing. Um, you know, I was I was listening to a, one of my favorite radio shows recently, uh, Marketplace. It's on NPR, and whenever I'm driving around, I put that on. And I happened on the other day an interview with Visa CEO Al Kelly, yeah. who address, addressed this very very topic. And he said that credit card balances are accelerating. He also said that face to face transactions are accelerating based on Visa's data. Okay. Now, the NPD group reports that consumer spending on discretionary merchandise had reached 100% of 2019 spending as of the 1st of December. Um, and that's pretty impressive considering how depressed spending was in 2020. And just to yeah. remind people, discretionary sales include various sectors like retail, media, restaurants, apparel, consumer durables. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelly, in his interview on Marketplace, noted, noted that uh, debit and e-commerce certainly made the day for COVID. And that got me to thinking, you know, behavioral and neurological scientists uh, often talk about how it takes six weeks for new habits to take hold. You know, if you want to like learn to meditate, do it straight for six weeks. You know, you want to quit smoking, do it straight for six weeks. Then it's pretty much a new habit. Well, the pandemic has been raging now for 21 months. 
suggesting that increased reliance on online spending and debit card usage is the new norm. Right. You know, um, and I, I, I happen to find some stats from Adobe. Adobe has this, uh, this um, unit that calls Adobe Analytics. They okay. do a lot of reporting on e-commerce. They said that consumers spent $10.7 billion on Cyber Monday. Now, that's about $100 million less than last year, but it's still the biggest single online shopping day of the year. Sure. And during the month of November, consumers spent a total of $109.8 billion online, which is up 11.9% over the same month in 2020. You know, I, I've been in this business for a real long time, and I remember when we used to say, uh, you know, a uh, an ISO or an acquirer that had a hundred billion in volume was like at the top of its at the top right. of the pack, you know. Right. Now I know that's not the case, but you know, a hundred nine billion dollars is nothing to to scoff at. Right. Um, and the other thing is, is they said that buy now, pay later saw a 21% year-over-year bump on Cyber Monday. Mm. And that curbside pickup was used for 18% of all orders on Cyber Monday. Wow. Now, again, reflecting back to my own personal experience, I got to tell you, I have not liked going to grocery stores for the last 21 months, you know? Yeah. It's like... Yeah. I never did, but yeah. Yeah, I never liked it, but I like it even <laughs> less now. Right, and I, right. I became, I've become addicted to curbside pickup. Yeah, I mean, I love just going online, ordering everything I need. I don't do any of that dallying and buying things that I don't really need. I pull right. up, somebody puts it in the back of my car, and I'm off. I mean, right. so right. 18% on Cyber Monday. I think that's a really telling tale right there. It is. You know, it and is. Um, Be- PayPal says BNPL transactions were five times higher on pack, back Black Friday compared to Black Friday of 2020. Mm. And uh, PayPal CEO told Reuters that more than 9 million consumers have now used its Buy Now, Pay Later service. Wow. Now, CNBC reports some research it took that showed 7% of shoppers were planning to use Buy Now, Pay Later for holiday purchases. Now, this is, of course, just a fraction of total credit and debit card usage, right? 50 one percent were planning to use their credit cards. Fifty-five percent were planning to use their debit cards. But it's significant when you consider what a brand new payment method this really is. Yeah. You know, also worth noting is buy now, pay later is big with young consumers. Twelve mm. percent of those between eighteen and thirty-four were planning on using it this holiday season. Mm. Um, again, reflecting back on marketplace, and I'm not a I'm not a TikTok user, so I don't really understand this. But apparently, recently. Uh, there was Visa was running a buy now pay later ad on a TikTok video with some famous performer. Sure, um, and they were like, you know, some some little thing like you can tell them it only cost you five dollars. That was the first payment, of course. Right. <laughs> you know, but right. you know, and for all those who who fear that buy now pay later is going to detract detract from card sales, there's this: seventy five percent of buy now pay later transactions are paid down using debit cards. Wow. And there are numerous studies indicating that buy now, pay later reduces shopping cart abandonments, encourages and encourages people to buy higher ticket items, which I don't think we can. Well, and I, well, I think, though, uh, just to kind of a counterpoint there, I mean, the fact that people are paying their buy now, pay later with their debit card doesn't mean that that processing is running through an ISO. 
Exactly. Right. right. It's, right. That, that would be the ISO, ISO is, that's representing the, the buy now, pay later company. Right. So I think it actually is a, is still scary. And I think ISO as an agent should still think you need to be offering buy now, pay later to your merchant so that you can make money that's off of that. That's my point. Revenue. Exactly. Because yes. as we've talked <laughs> in the past, there are several companies out there yes. that offer that for ISOs and agents. So, yes. um, but there is a, there are some clouds on the on the buy now pay later horizon. You know, a September survey by Credit Karma found a third of U.S. consumers who used it had fallen behind on one or more payments, and this has been seized upon by some lawmakers as a warning sign that consumers may be getting overextended. Uh, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, during an October hearing, said the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau needs to be, quote, looking deeply at the phenomenon to get a better understanding of any negative impacts on consumers. Yeah. And again, I think that speaks to, uh, you know, <clears throat> the CFPB sort of becoming much more attuned to these consumer credit issues, which right. uh, we've talked about as well. Right, right. Wow. Well, very interesting stuff, Patty, as always. Uh, really interesting trends. Yeah, thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.